I want to start this message off by just reading a scripture. I shouldn't say just reading a scripture, but by reading a specific scripture. And I want you to get a hold of this, and I pray that it impacts your heart. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. I, I want us to really hear the heart of the Apostle Paul in this scripture. I'm reading to you from the New King James Version. Verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. You, you hear this loss, loss, loss. And count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness which is from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is, is from God by faith. Verse 10. Here, here's the heart cry. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He uses the word loss three times. He's talking about what I've had to let go of in order that I may know him in a way like he's never known him before. We can't deny, and for some reason, the church lately, I think up these past maybe five or ten years, maybe a little bit more, has forgotten about the price that we're called to pay. You can't deny that there is a price to pay to get to know him. Now, now watch this now. That price is never at the expense of our eternal future. It always costs us in the flesh now. It's found in the abandonment of our own goals, the abandonment of our own dreams, but the reward is priceless. Church, my church family that, that are gathered here, those that are joining us online, don't ever be afraid to let go of whatever God's telling you to let go of in order that you may come to a whole new level of relationship with him, level of intimacy with him. Sometimes you've got to walk away from some things in order to walk in to some things that God has you. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the modern day church, and I put myself in here, has forgotten or has distanced, of, distanced itself from this whole concept of, like Paul's saying here, I may have been able to accomplish great things, and Paul accomplished great things. Paul had a tremendous reputation amongst Judaism in, in his time. I mean, he was raised up under one of the most famous rabbis of all history, people that Judaism talk about to this day. I mean, this was a guy who had a reputation. He had places to go in their own sense of fame and he had to walk away from these things his life had been threatened at least on two occasions that we know of possibly many many more times he had to walk away from his reputation he had to walk away from his dreams his goals he could have been Saul of Tarsus the great rabbi the great scholar but he chose to walk away from it all let me read that same verse of scripture from the Passion paraphrase. Yet all of the accomplishments that I once took credit for, I've now forsaken them. And I regard them as nothing compared to the delight of experiencing Jesus Christ as my Lord. To truly know him meant letting go of everything from my past, throwing all my boasting on the garbage heap. It's all like a pile of manure. Now that's a very close translation because in the original language, the word rubbish that Paul used really meant manure so that I may be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embrace him as Lord in all of his greatness now we just got done celebrating the resurrection last weekend it's very apparent that the disciples had no idea who Jesus really was because when they encounter him 
after the resurrection, they're bewildered, they're frightened, they're confused, they're, they're just astonished. They're like, who is this guy? Who is this man? I mean, they saw little glimpses here and there when he calmed the sea. They said the same thing. Who is this man that, he, that the wind and the waves obey him? They, they had him around them all the time, but they didn't know him yet. Now, when I used to read this when I first got born again many years ago, I would, it would almost discourage me because I would say, my God, if Paul, who had so much revelation from the Holy Spirit to bring to the church, man, if he's saying, I still want to know him, am I ever going to get there? Am I ever going to get to the place of knowing him? that I may know him. The cry of Paul's heart is the cry of every believer who is not satisfied to have a mere surface knowledge of the one who created us, the one who redeemed us, the one who suffered for us. I want to know him more. I want to know him way. I want to know, listen, listen, hear me out. I want to know him in the season that I'm in now. I've known him in the past in different seasons. I knew him as a 27-year-old young guy, just fresh out of darkness. I've known him through coming into fatherhood. I've known him in those seasons. I knew him in the season when we were forced to go into bankruptcy and lost everything. I've known him as the provider. I've known him as the one who encourages us. I've known him as the one who picks us up. But I want to know him now in this season. And it's not that he's changed. I've changed. You've changed. And we need to know who he is now in the season of life that you find yourself in. Whether you're sitting here right now or whether you're watching us and joining us online. It's so important. But listen. In order to know him more and more, you have to allow a divine dissatisfaction to rise up on the inside. See, to know him in the biblical sense of the word does not mean merely being acquainted, but to know him intimately. To have a close, one of those close, no secrets relationship. And that statement that I may know him, that echoes throughout the ages. Many philosophers have spent their entire lives trying to come up with either an accurate picture of who he is or they've wasted their lives trying to explain him away. Thousands of man-made religions have tried to pave a way to him only to create frustration among their believers, their followers, due to lack of fulfillment. Jesus spent most of his ministry here on the earth revealing the Father to a people who once placed a premium on knowing God, but they had long replaced their knowledge of God, their experience with God, their intimacy with God, with useless and empty rituals and traditions. The Lord had a very clear understanding that in order to have an intimate relationship with our Creator, we must know His true nature, His true nature. See, because we make pictures in our head about who God is. We do it all the time. I hear it all the time. I catch myself sometimes assuming that God is a certain way only to find out from the word, wait a second, that's not accurate. And I hear people, and you hear people, you hear, we hear ourselves sometimes say, well, you know, the way I see it is, the way you see it and the way I see it doesn't mean anything if it's not based on the truth. And that's what religion has done throughout the centuries, throughout thousands of years is trying to formulate an idea of God trying to live along that idea but if it doesn't match up with the truth of the word it's not going to get us to the right destination people who do not learn the truth this is why this is important and I want you to grab this this is why this teaching is extremely important this weekend people who do not learn the true nature of God through the word and by the Holy Spirit have only one other voice to rely on and that voice is the voice of man-made tradition, which is almost always skewed and warped. And it presents a God who's not, it's not biblical. 
It's not biblical. And Jesus was determined to open the eyes of the spiritually blind so that they could see God for who he really is. That's all I want. That's all I want. I want to see him for who he really is. I want to experience him for who he really is. When the Holy Spirit moves in our midst, when the Holy Spirit may come in and take over service and put it in a different direction and set it on a different course, I want to know that it's genuine, that it's not something that we dreamed up. It's not something that we made up. It's not something that we forced. It's not something... Because, you know, you can, you can make things look like God. Get over emotional. You can make things. I want the genuine. How many want the genuine? I want the genuine. I've seen too much fake, too much phony, too much made up. I want the genuine. When somebody says, man, we went to church and boy, the presence of God was there. I want to know that the presence of God was there. So, talking about revealing the true nature of our Father. Jesus was determined that he was going to open up the eyes of these people who had become spiritually blind. And in Luke chapter 15, we've got three wonderfully revealing pictures of our Heavenly Father. And Luke chapter 15 shows us how Jesus presented those pictures to a people that were hungry to know him. Verse 1, I want you to please follow me. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near Jesus to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to complain, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Duh. Isn't that what he's supposed to do? Isn't that what he's supposed to be doing? Of course. So it's very obvious that these religious people, they knew their religion... They knew their traditions. They knew their rituals. But they did not know the nature of God. And we need to be, listen church, we need to be extremely careful not to fall into that trap. Knowing the word, knowing the formulas, but missing out on the true relationship. It needs to be so real, so raw, so spontaneous, so just letting God be who God wants to be. He is the light of the world. And people, are, people in darkness are drawn to light. It's just a fact. People that are in darkness are drawn to light. And this shouldn't, be a, this shouldn't have been a surprise to the religious people. But the fact is, they didn't want his light. And worse, they didn't want anyone else to be affected by his light. That is a horrible, horrible position to be. That is a disgraceful attitude for a religious person to be in. Not experiencing for themselves, but not wanting anybody else to experience it either. So Jesus proceeds and he's going to give them three different this is his response. He responds to their complaint by giving them three different pictures and although they, these religious people have set themselves in a position to be his enemies, he still loves them enough to give them the truth. Amen? Amen? They don't understand that these sinners who they despise are actually being drawn to him by their Father in heaven. Amen? Amen. So let's jump in. Luke 15, verse 3. And he told them this parable saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the other ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he puts it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because they have found my sheep that was lost. And then he makes a comparison. Verse 7, I tell you that in the same manner, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. Wow. 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 Now, I doubt if many of us connected with this as far as the sheep part. How many shepherds do we have? How many, if we have any shepherds online, just go in the chat section there, let us know. 
But listen, to me, the most telling statement is found in verse 5. When he has found that sheep that was lost, what does he do? Puts it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Why does this stick out? Why does this stand out? Number one, sheep stink really bad. I don't know if you've ever been around. You take your kids to a little petting zoo and it's so cute and you're like, oh my God. They stink. And that was one of the main reasons why when the Israelites were in Egypt, originally when they went there, they were shepherds. And, and Pharaoh, because he loved Joseph because of, because of what Joseph did saving Egypt, he's like, love you guys. Uh, but let's give them some territory way in the north, away from us, so they could raise their sheep and we don't have to smell all that stuff. So, so think about this, okay? Sheep stink really bad, especially the ones that have gotten lost. We're talking about the lost sheep, especially the ones that have gotten lost and they got off somewhere they shouldn't be, maybe, maybe swampland, maybe mud, whatever. And the sheep that has wandered off beyond the care of the shepherd is going to have all kinds of bugs and poop stuck to its will. Did he say that in church? Yes. If Paul could say manure in his epistles, I could say poop in church. You getting the picture here? That, that sheep, that lamb gets off someplace out of the care of the shepherd. It's going places where it shouldn't be. There's all kinds of bugs, worms, poop stuck in their wool. And listen, if it's eaten the wrong thing, it may have vomited all over itself. And so the thought of taking this disgusting, disgusting creature and wrapping it around your neck to me is repulsive. But that's how Jesus described the nature of the Father. Remember, that's the whole reason for these stories. But this shepherd rejoices at having this gross, filthy animal that close to his face and, and realize how this is going to happen. The head's going to be over here and the other end's going to be over here. I'm like, okay, little sheep, come on. I don't know if I want to. But this speaks loudly about the nature of our Heavenly Father. Because you know what, church? He looked beyond our filth. He looked beyond our degeneracy and he went after us. He didn't let our current condition at that time be the determining factor whether he was going to save us or not. He didn't say, I'll wait till you go and bathe. I'll wait until you go and get all that junk combed out of your wool. I'll wait until you've cleaned yourself up from your vomit. I'll wait. No. No, he's like, no, come here. Come here. Let me, let me, let me carry you. Let me take you. Let me hold you. Let me love you. Let me, let me let you know how precious you are to me. He doesn't wait for us to clean ourselves. He grabs us in the middle of our garbage heap, smelly from that sinful world that we came out of, and he pulls us close to himself. Man. And the Pharisees couldn't get it. They couldn't understand it. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 I'll read this from the Passion Translation. So then we must cling in faith to all we know to be true, for we have a magnificent king, priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us, and look at this, and now sympathizes with us in our frailty. He sympathizes with us in our frailty. Now watch this now. In the Aramaic language, you realize Jesus didn't speak classical Hebrew. Jesus didn't speak common Greek. He spoke Aramaic, which Aramaic is a language of Mesopotamia. It's a type of a mixture of Hebrew and Syrian. There are still people today in Syria and Iraq that still speak Aramaic, certain little villages there. And so this is what it would have sounded like directly translated who has sorrow with us in our affliction. He has sorrow with us in our affliction. He doesn't get mad at us when we fall into sin, when we wander off, 
when we involve ourselves in things we have no business getting involved in, when we get the poop of the world stuck on us again, when we get to the position where we've taken in things we should not have and it's upset us, he actually has sorrow for us because of the situation that we found ourselves in. Verse 15. He understands humanity for as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way just as we are and conquered sin. So now we draw near freely and boldly to where grace is enthroned to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. That's, that's a mouthful. That's a mouthful. What's he saying? Don't let your condition, don't let your frailty, don't let the filth, don't let the degeneracy, do not let any of those things stop you from coming to me, Jesus is saying, and receive the mercy that you need and then let me strengthen you with the grace so that in the future you don't wander off into those things again. Man, what a difference between that God this God and the God of the Pharisees, the God of the religious people. Jesus is saying, my father will never allow the depravity of your life to ever stop him from reaching you. Therefore, come freely and with boldness that comes from this fact and take hold of the mercy that sets you free from your past and fill up on the grace that will keep you free in the future. That's good. That's good. He's not afraid to take us up as we are, and draw us close to himself. Verse 8 now, and back to Luke 15. Again, the first story was the story of the lost sheep. You got that? You got that? Okay, verse 8, next story. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because they have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So the first story he tells is a story that's good, that shepherds could relate to. The second story he tells is a story that any woman who was in that crowd that day understood exactly what he was saying. They knew what he meant. You see, in our, in our society here, in our Western mindset, we go, oh, so she lost a coin. Okay. We're thinking she had a little coin purse, she had a couple of dimes in there, a penny or something, and she lost one. That, that's not the picture here. You see, the silver coins that this refers to had nothing to do with money that you would buy things with. Now, this refers to the jewelry that's worn by a bride on her wedding day. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of this, but even today, uh, in the Middle East, sometimes brides are dressed up in a very traditional way. And um, what will happen is, a bride will, will wear a crown, a, like a chain, across her forehead, and on that, there will be coins, silver, sometimes silver, sometimes gold. So when you lose one of those, in the mindset back then, it was as if you lost your diamond wedding ring or your diamond engagement ring. That, has anybody, has any woman here ever lost their engagement ring? You tear the house apart. Uh, you're calling the plumber to make sure that it didn't go down the, the kitchen sink. That guy's going to come open up the trap to see if that ring's there. Uh, if you're, you've been at the beach and all of a sudden you come out of the water and, and you're, missing, you're missing your ring, you're like shut the beach down, don't let anybody leave here. So that's the picture that's being painted here. He's saying, as precious as that coin is, is as precious as a person that's lost to our Father in Heaven. He, she, she rips the house apart. Now, that illustration speaks about the covenant. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage was held in much higher esteem back then. Okay, today, unfortunately, it's not held in that kind of esteem. But Jesus is using a picture that everybody would have understood there in that crowd. That coin represented the gift, the, the wealth, 
the importance of that marriage covenant, just like a wedding ring. When, when we got married, my wife bought me two wedding rings. She wanted to make sure that I was marked. <laughs> one, one for work and one to wear, you know, for all different occasions. Amen? <laughs> and I didn't wear either one of them for the first seven years until I got born again. But things changed. Amen? I've made it up to row over the years. So, understand the significance. The first story that Jesus is telling, and, and watch this now, I remind you now, he's speaking to the crowd, but he's got the religious people over here. And he's telling them, and he's making sure that they're getting the picture. Not in a malicious sense. What's he doing? He's trying to stir them up again. He's trying to remind them of the relationship that they had with their Father in Heaven at one time. Why? Because they didn't know the true nature of God. And the worst part about it is they were teaching these people in the crowds to have a perspective of God that they had that did not allow them to enter into salvation, but it also stopped them. Jesus is saying, my father considers himself married to his people. And so when one is lost, he'll move heaven and earth to find that one that once had a place on the crown. Verse 11, he goes into the next story. I don't believe this one is a parable. I believe this one is an actual story that people would have known who he was talking about. And he said to them, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate that is coming to me. And so he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country where he squandered his estate and while living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country, and he began doing without. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him out into the fields to feed his pigs. So we know he went someplace outside of Judah, outside of Israel. He went beyond the boundaries and the borders of the land of his fathers. Why? Because he's feeding pigs. And there are no pig farms in Israel. Why? Pork is not kosher. So he went a distance. He went away. He went to a foreign land. In fact, it says that in one of the translations. And he longed to have, to have his fill of the carob pods. These are things that grow on trees. That the pigs were eating, and no one was giving him anything. But when he had come to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired laborers have more than enough bread? but I am dying here from hunger. I will sit out and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired laborers. So he set out and came to his father. But while, while, when he was still a long way off, he saw, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22, the father ignores him. Doesn't pay attention to a word he's saying. And he turns to the servants and gives the orders to restore his son. Now watch this now. The son is lost. The son was once part of the family. Whether he despised the whole setup, whether he didn't like the idea of working together in the family business, whatever happened, happened. He goes to the father and says, I want my share. I want to go do my own thing. I want to go start my own farm. I want to go start my own business. And the son goes, but it's obvious that the son doesn't have a plan. And so he loses the wealth. He loses the investment. And now a famine breaks out. He's got nothing to eat. He's destitute. Not receiving any compassion from anyone. Why? They wouldn't even let him eat what the pigs were eating. And so he finally does what? He comes to his senses. Verse 17. And he says to himself, How many of my father's hired laborers 
My, my father's employees have more than enough bread, and here I am, I'm dying from hunger. And so he begins now. Because the, because the revelation came, because he came to his senses, now he's rehearsing this whole thing that he's going to say to his father. Why? Because he doesn't understand the true nature of his father. He doesn't understand the true nature of his father. He's thinking, when I get there, I know what he's going to say. I told you so. I told you you weren't going to amount to anything. I told you this was a mistake. I told you, I told you, I told you. There's only one thing that he did not count on. His father has been watching and waiting for him to come home all this time. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son, the son's kicking in now. He's got, he's got the whole script ready. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22, but the father said to the slave, you can see this whole picture. The father's like, don't pay attention to what he's saying. Quickly, he said to his slaves, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, slaughter it, and let's eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Amen. Now watch this now. This is a classic story. Now, what we find out from Bible commentators is that this story was one that the rabbis used over and over again. Before the time of Jesus and during the time of Jesus when he was on earth. However, when Jesus told this story, you can imagine everybody was sitting there going, I know this story. I heard this two weeks ago in the synagogue. I know that. They all looked at each other and oh, he's going to tell that story again. But you see, the rabbis used to tell it from the Old Testament standpoint. And at the end of the rabbi's version of the story, the son gets stoned to death. Because in the law of Moses, when a son disrespects his father, you're stoned to death. Could you imagine the look on their faces when they thought they knew where he was going? Have you ever watched a movie and you think you know where it's going? And I can think of one movie right now. I, I, I won't tell you because everybody's going to email me and go or Facebook me. Hey, what was that movie? What was that movie? I can think of one movie that was going, Brian, we were talking about it a couple of days ago, where you think you know how the plot's going. And then at the end, I literally, I remember the first time I watched this movie, I literally sat back on my recliner and went, you got to be kidding me. The twist. How many of you love movies? like I, See, that's why I don't like the Hallmark movies. They're an insult to your intelligence. Because as soon as the first person opens their mouth, as soon as you get the girlfriend, she's got a guy, you know he's not going to be the one at the end of the movie. Somebody else shows up, and you go, that's the guy. She's going to end up with him at the end of the movie. There's no challenge. There's, no, there's never a twist. It's like, oh, my God. But could you imagine what this crowd, the, could you imagine what happened, how their necks must have just went crack when he told them the story of his version of it? And you know, the church world has always called this the prodigal son. The story's not about the son. The story's about the father. Jesus is wanting to reveal the father to these people, not the carnal nature of the son. It really should be called the benevolent father, not the prodigal son. Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring out that calf that we've been saving for this special occasion. Slaughter it, let's eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. They began to celebrate. They totally got it. Everybody there got it. They understood. Oh, wow. So the kid doesn't get stoned to death. This father's different. They understood that the robe and the ring signified the father restoring his son's authority over everything that the father possessed. He said, well, is that fair? He wasted his share. Everything that the father has is his. 
The sandals on his feet represented the father lifting his son up out of the status of slavery and restoring him as a son in the family. All three stories that we just read have one thing in common. And I want you to get this because this is what Jesus was going for. See, the religious people thought they knew God and they were comparing Jesus with their picture of God. In other words, why is he chasing these? Why is he going after these sinners? Why doesn't he just let them go? Doesn't he realize they're never going to change? They're never going to be helped? They're too dirty? They're too filthy? So Jesus tells them these three stories and there's one thing in common. Each one of the stories contains a character who will move heaven and earth to find that thing that is lost. And that is the true nature of our God. The son came to himself because he had lived like a slave. When all the while, sonship was his true identification, not a slave, a son. You notice that the father wasn't the one holding back any restoration. The father wasn't holding back reconciliation. The father longed for the son to return. Verse 21 just, just hits you. And when he stood a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. We don't understand what that meant to those people that heard that. Because in Middle Eastern culture, it is ex considered extremely shameful and undignified for an old man to run to anybody. Because it would require him to take his robe, bring it up between his legs, and run. And very undignified. And yet the father's like, I don't care what anybody thinks. I see my son. <sighs> He didn't care what his slaves were going to say. He didn't care what his servants were going to say. He said, I see my son. And I could see on his face that he's changed. And just the fact that the father didn't even answer the son's script, he immediately restored him. And this church is the true nature of our Heavenly Father. He showers us with goodness so that when we return, we'll never want to ever again wander away. Amen. Never again be lost. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquity. Verse 11, for as, as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as it removed our transgressions, our sins from us. As the father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Verse 14 is a verse that has given me hope all these years. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. What is that, what is that saying? He knows how you're wired. He knows what you've been through. He knows what you've been exposed to. He knows what you've endured. Now, I'm not trying to paint us as all victims, but he knows how we're wired. He knows what's been downloaded in our souls. He knows it. And he takes all of that into consideration. He knows how much mercy and how much grace we're going to need. So church, don't let any past or current conduct keep you from your Heavenly Father. Come back. Get on fire again. Come to him with your whole heart because he has committed his love to you. Amen. 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 Understand the true nature. He's not your enemy. He knows everything you've ever done. He knows everything you're going to do. He knows everything you think. And he still loves us. He's still committed to us.
Finally, I want you to consider this before we're done. Jesus used three different stories to illustrate the nature of God. Can I ask you this question? Whose story is he using today? Yours and mine. People love stories. It helps them relate. Don't keep quiet about what he's done for you. Tell your story about how his story has changed your life. Amen? Amen. You know what? I think we're just going to go right into this. Why don't you come up here? Take us through the rest of this. And then, and then will you pray the prayer of salvation? Sure. Okay. Pastor Tom, come on up. Please give, your, please give your attention to Pastor Tom. He's going to close out the service by sharing something with you that we've talked about over the past month or so. And so, where are you? Right. Go right ahead. Don't worry, I'm not preaching another message. All right? I have the iPad here. I have to share a testimony with the iPad. That's why I wanted to read it specifically, so that's why I brought this up here. But a, me- a message like this really has to naturally stir us up to really want to bring this to others, right? It's just a natural thing. It's not something we should even have to work up. When you're sitting here and when Pastor was talking about the sun, it just does so much in your heart. You want to share that naturally. And in the coming months and really in the future, we're going to really be doing more things to reach out to those that don't know Christ, someone who's lost corporately as a church, but we're also going to be doing that Individually and encouraging us and giving us opportunities and avenues to actually reach out to our, our family, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, our acquaintances, everybody in our lives, right? Because they need to hear the gospel. So you see these cards on your seat. I'm going to explain them in a minute. But if you're online, we didn't forget about you. You can download this card at um, newbeginningsnj.org forward slash pray. You could get that card. But what we're going to do with these cards in the uh, next month, so for the next four weeks, up into the weekend of May 8th and May 9th, we are going to pray for our family and friends and our neighbors, co-workers. And I was thinking, Pastor, I was thinking about this sitting there. When you think about all the people in our church, how many names we can write down, we're going to be praying specifically every weekend for thousands of people. Thousands of people. So what, what we're going to do is we're giving you these cards. This week, pray about who you want to give this card to. Pray about somebody you want to give this card to, excuse me, that you want to pray for on this card. Write their name down, right? So think about it this week. It's five names if you want two cards. Write those names down and bring these cards every single week with you. Put them in your Bible, wherever, your pocketbook. And then we're going to pray every single week. And we're going to make it very simple. We're going to be very specific. We're going to pray a different a different principle every single week to pray for our, our the people in our lives. Amen. But when you think about it, someone prayed for us, and God has given us the the message of reconciliation, right? He says he's committed to us in 2 Corinthians 5.8. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So it's a responsibility that we have. Somebody was praying for you. Somebody was praying for me. Somebody was praying for pastor. We would not be sitting here today if somebody didn't pray for us and share the gospel. And in 1 Timothy, it says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. That's including people who don't know Christ, right? Pray for all people. And if you look on this card, it says this. I love this quote by Franklin Graham. It says, evangelism will not work apart from persistent prayer that prepares hearts to hear and receive the gospel. So prayer opens the doors for us to share the gospel. So I want to share a testimony along the lines of this. And I actually brought this up here because I wanted to read it specifically because when you read this in depth, this is an amazing testimony. This is from Victor Martinez, one of our our worship leaders. Listen to this. I'm going to set up the story. In our Bible school years back, it was called Relevant at the time. Um, I was one of the teachers, and one of the, it was an evangelism class, and one of the instructions was to take a card, write down five names of your family and friends that you want to pray for. We're going to pray together, and we're going to believe God for doors to open, and we're going to believe God for them to hear the gospel. So Victor, listen to this, so I'm going to read it specifically. So during class one evening, uh, Pastor Tom gave us cards and asked us to list on the back of the card names of individuals we had on our hearts to pray for so that they could come to know Christ. 
I had put a few names on there, but the very first name I put on there wasn't a cousin of mine who was not saved. He didn't know the Lord, and that's obviously the goal of this. We're specifically praying for people who don't know Christ. So we prayed over the cards that same night after class. We all prayed together, right? I left this part out uh, for sensitivity, but something miraculous happened to him. He got protected in a situation that could have been dangerous that very night, okay? So follow me. So sometime later, my family had invited myself and my wife to watch a boxing match. It was like a family thing to watch boxing, eat, and hang out together. These fights go on pretty late in the evening, and it was a Saturday night, so me and my wife decided we needed to leave. Worship team, if you're here, any other oh, not here, but anybody who's on the worship team, you would know this. It says we needed to leave because we had to serve on the worship team early next morning. So we, we say our goodbyes, and my cousin, whom I put on that list, was also there. We leave, and we're in the car. Listen to this. It's so awesome how God does. So he leaves. He's in the car. He leaves the gathering. Immediately, he hears on the inside to go back and invite his cousin to church. I, I had I'm reading this testimony over and over again. It's like, oh, so, so he, he went. So he, he really heard on the inside to go invite his cousin to church. The one he prayed for, the one top on the list that he prayed for. He didn't go back, right? He figured he's not coming to church. Not him, no way. He ignored it and proceeded to drive away. He got to the first stop, stop sign, and waiting at the stop sign, he said, seemed like an eternity. He gets, he gets there, and his wife looks at him. Raina looks at him and says, honey, what's wrong? I tell her I keep hearing in my spirit to invite cuz to church tomorrow. And the sense that I needed to go ask him was so strong. So I turned around and went back to the house. Vic said to his cousin, I came back because I wanted to ask you to come to church tomorrow. But what he said to Raina before that is, no way, not him. I can't see him coming to church, but he went back anyway, right? So he said to his cousin, I couldn't go home without asking you. No pressure to come, but I just wanted to ask you. He lived pretty far away at the time, so Victor wasn't sure if he was really coming. His cousin said, I don't know, cuz. He's like, I don't have any clothes. I don't know if I'm going to be there. But he said, you never know. Gave him a hug and said goodnight. So Sunday morning, he's on the platform. Just picture this. Put yourself in Victor and Raina's shoes. He's on the platform, and he starts seeing members of his family come through the door, right? So now he's seeing members of his family come through the door, and behind them was the cousin that he prayed for. So he gave his life to the Lord, accepted Christ that day when the altar call was given. Come to think of it, um, he believes it wasn't the only one. He said other families answered that call. We huddled together, 10 family members in Victor's family, praying with him as they said the prayer that proclaimed Christ as, as Savior. It was a beautiful moment, and praise the Lord our God, he is faithful. And this is what Victor put on here. Is that awesome? God is awesome. So... We said all that to say this. There is power in prayer. It works. We're, we're called to pray. That's the first step in reaching anybody. So this month, think about it. We're going to be praying together for thousands of people. And we are believing God that we're going to see testimonies. Even if God doesn't give us op opportunity to minister to people, we know someone else is going to do it, right? But we are going to see testimonies. It's awesome. So I just want to encourage you, please take one of these cards, fill them out, bring them back every day, every uh, service for the next four weeks, and we are going to pray over them. But thank you, church. And one last thing, Pastor um, had asked me to obviously share. Um, if you're watching online or anybody here, if you are here, and I don't know where you are, maybe you need to come back to Christ and you're like, you've, you've slipped away, or you're here and you say, yeah, that's me. I'm that son. I'm that son that went off. And if you're watching online and you say, I'm that son or I'm that daughter that went off and I feel like I went too far. As pastor said, God comes after you. He's always coming after us. He loves us, right? He loves us. It's, it's his goodness that's always coming after us. And it's this simple, just like the father who has watched and is waiting. He's waiting. He's been waiting for you all these years for you to come back to him. And it's this simple. In, in John, it says, to as many as received him, right? To as many as believed in his name, he's given them the right to become children of God. It, it's that simple. 
You don't have to do anything. We can't earn it. The religious people thought they could earn it by the law, right? But we cannot earn it. It's something that is given to us. It is a gift, and you just have to receive it. And in Romans, it says how to do that. We just have to believe in our heart and confess with our mouth. We just have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross. He rose again to pay for our sins so we could, number one, he could pay the penalty for our sin, and number two, bring us back into relationship with the Father, restored back just like that prodigal son. So if we could just all close our eyes, and let's pray this together. If you're online, just pray this prayer with me. Say, Father, I believe that you died on the cross and you rose again on the third day to bring me back into relationship with you. I thank you for your son, Jesus. He did that so I could have new life. So I ask for forgiveness from my past and I thank you that today I'm a child of God a new person I thank you that the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and I thank you that from this day forward I'm a child of God in Jesus name amen well church amen well if you prayed that prayer for the first time just like pastor talked about there is celebrating right now going on in heaven you're a new person. It's so important. If you prayed that prayer online, it is so important for this to get hooked up in a local church, whether it's ours or another church, to start reading your Bible, start talking to God. It's so important. You could talk to God just like we're talking right here. Get around people who believe like you now and get around people so you could grow. But thank you. It's been an amazing service. And if you need prayer for anything, or if you did pray that prayer for the first time and you're in the room, our prayer workers are up here. They will pray with you. They want to put a book in your hand. And again, thank you, Pastor. Awesome message. Thank you so much. God bless you. Have a great weekend. If there's any questions about anything on these cards, feel free to see me or you can just go online and we have a prayer guide. Everything's right on there for you. Amen.